When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Real Vision, we're closing the doors. But not how you might think. You see, this autumn we're launching the new Real Vision, a platform built around the universal truth that knowledge times tools times network equals success, your success. It's the biggest transformation in our history and brings together everything you need in your journey from information to knowledge to wisdom all in one place. That's incredible AI, charting tools, networking, economic data, watch lists, notes, and a whole ton more. We start rolling out to our current members at the end of August. And from August the 15th, we're closing the doors to any new members while we focus on that. But you do have one final chance to get in that door. Until August the 15th, you can level up for a whole quarter of Real Vision just for the price of $20.14. When you go to realvision.com forward slash last chance, you'll see why we chose that price in particular. It's something about Real Vision of old. You'll get to experience the new platform before the general public with no obligation to stay after that three months and a price that works out for like $6 a month. It's what you call a no-brainer. Anyway, I hope to see you on Real Vision. It's an incredible community and my God, this new platform is going to be extraordinary and will change as many lives as possible. That's realvision.com forward slash last chance. Is cash the only safe bet? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tommy Thornton, founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Hey, Tommy. Great to have you back on the Daily Briefing. Hey, thanks uh, for having me. It's nice to see you. So uh, for those who are listening and maybe not by a screen, not a great day for U.S. equities. All the major indices lower and the selling accelerated into the close, which is never a good sign. We had weak data out of China, the yuan hitting a nine-month low. More negative headlines concerning U.S. banks. The regional bank uh, ETF uh, KRE was down over 3%, over 5% in the last five days. And the 10-year Treasury yield climbing back to 4.2%. That's a big move in just the last week or so. So there's a lot going on, especially for what's supposed to be a quiet time in the market, Tommy. What do you make of the action we're seeing? Yeah, so much for uh, the quiet August that we all were uh, promised. Um, well, you have a lot of macro stuff that's happening right now. You mentioned the currencies, and I'm really focused on on uh, the yen. Uh, Chinese current, you know, yen uh, hit a new low today. Um, China's currency hit a new low. Uh, I think there's still dollar strength out there, and that is usually mixes with uh, risk off behavior overall. So I think that um, that's a real concern. You have. The Japanese GDP came out yesterday, double the consensus. Uh, they were looking for about 3%. It came in at 6%. You have the national CPI in Japan coming out this week. Uh, they're going to be under pressure. That is the Bank of Japan is going to be under pressure to do a little bit more policy relaxing, as they called it, uh, with their yield, yield curve control. 
So I think that's a risk. And one thing that is really important, and you mentioned the U.S., uh, I mean, with rates, uh, you have the 10-year, 30-year, those hit recent new highs. Uh, they dipped uh, last week, and everybody thought the bonds were going to rally, but they snapped right back up. And I think the if you look at the Japanese market, uh, it's more correlated with uh, – the U, I mean, it's correlated with the U.S. rates market on the the ten year and thirty year. So I think you have some risk there. Um, if rates become unruly, that will affect other markets, and we've seen that happen with the equity market. Uh, I think I my gardener just showed up at the office here. Right on cue. Okay? You you must have the same one that both I have and Rao has, and it's like every. Buddy who mows the lawn in the neighborhood seems to have. I must have a red light that goes on when I'm on air. So yeah, he's like, hey, he just driving around on his little thing, and so anyway, I'll yell. Uh, so I, I think there's risk there with the rates market, and that could be, you know, that could really get unruly. And one thing that Bank of America pointed out is that there's been humongous inflows into the bond market last year and this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, record inflows, mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the way I look at it in 2021, when you had record inflows into the equity market, and then lo and behold, in 2023, or excuse me, 2022, you saw the equity markets uh, get hit pretty hard across the board. So I, th- I think there's there's risk uh, globally. You had the Russian currency, you know, taking it pretty hard. So they're trying to fix that. I mean, there's nothing they can do, I think. Um, and you still have a war going on in Ukraine, which is troubling. So currencies are are pulling back. Uh, I've been bullish. Last time I was on three weeks ago, I said I was really bullish on the energy sector. And I did take some profits in energy stocks. I had gains from 10 to 25% on some. And I'm, I'm waiting for a pullback. I think the pullback will be a higher low pullback that will be a, a really pretty good place to buy for the rest of the year. Uh, technology, I'm still uh, bearish. Uh, you're starting to see the Magnificent 7 turn into the Magnificent 1. Uh, NVIDIA is still on fire. I don't have any position in NVIDIA. It trades too rich for me. And I think that uh, their earnings next week, everybody expects their earnings to be blowout. And Jensen, the CEO, has done a magnificent job hyping this. And it's created this FOMO with all of his customers. They're dying for these chips. And so they are double ordering and doing everything possible. A lot of those customers are Chinese or Mideast customers, and they want their chips fast because they're afraid of sanctions or some problem that could arise. And you've seen sanctions talked about, but nothing really concrete yet for those. So I I think that it's becoming a very much more narrow market um, as we go on into this August. Yeah. So uh, it, it, when you when you list that long, it's a really a laundry list of these things that are moving that should give us all a lot of concern. Then you think, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, it sounds like everything's kind of setting up for there to be a spark that sends sends markets sort of. I mean, I don't want to use a, a word or a direction, but causes. I, I think you I'm going to say unruly, it lower. Right, they can go lower, and that's. That would create or opportunities. Fast moves, fast un, sort of moves that be, become momentum led and not really connect, connected to fundamentals. 
So we're getting a ton of questions already. I want to get a little bit more on some of what you said, but so that's the kind of the moves that you're seeing that is causing you concern. And it sounds like you, you're getting a little bit more cautious because you took some profits where you were ahead. Sounds like you're kind of squaring up a little and kind of getting ready for something. Is that a fair assessment? My fund is net short 40%. So I'm, I'm, and I'm enjoying some nice shorts like Wynn uh, Resorts. I shorted before earnings. Ralph Lauren before earnings. Uh, let's see what else. Apple, Tesla. Those are all working, and you know it's not. It hasn't been an easy year uh, for a long short portfolio manager, unless you're you've been long those those seven stocks. But those are starting to break up a little bit, and that's generally what happens. And those were the valuations were absurd on, on all of those. The Magnificent Seven had a PE ratio, an average PE of over 50 times earnings, and so it just that's unsustainable. And so I've just been patient, trying to navigate around sectors and stocks that uh, I see the opportunity for, um, you know, some, just pick off some downside. Yeah. I think it's always, um, I, you always underscore this. I think it's worth underscoring again that um, you have been doing this for a very long time. You're an expert at position sizing. You always make sure that you have the appropriate mechanisms in place so that you don't get totaled on one of these if it doesn't go your way. And you're short term, like you're very nimble. You're in and you're out. Some you go longer on, but you're a professional trader. That's not going to be everybody's point of view who's listening. So I think that's really important. Um, and you're trying to sort of look for where there's advantage, where there aren't other uh, people, which is when you were talking about last time you're on, you're talking about energy and shorting tech and probably everybody thought you were nuts. Yeah, I, I I think they and did. Financials. And I, I think you were I, you in financials as well. I I did, and I I I did sell some some of those out. Um, I don't have any financial exposure right now, um, but those did work for a bit. And uh, yeah, I I'm I'm not CNBC. I'm not going to talk about the stock of the day that's up and doing great. And I'm going to talk about what I see happening in the future. And you know, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, and I own when I'm wrong. And, you know, the thing that I think is concerning me is we, we, we don't, like for the equity markets, we have this giant CTA uh, long exposure. CTAs are just basically big trend following quant funds. Uh, and we're starting to get to levels in the lower 4,400 level where they would turn seller. And if we have a two standard deviation move on the downside, that flips about 250 billion for them to start selling. And they're just systematic and that will create uh, some real downside. So, you know, we're not there yet, but that's a risk. On top of it, I track about 20 different internals within the markets and we're not oversold on those. And some of them are very basic type indicators. And I look at like the percentage of stocks above the S&P, above the 20 day or above the 50 day. And those aren't at oversold levels yet. Market sentiment is not at oversold levels. It still remains pretty buoyant. Bond market is not at oversold levels as, as far as being overly bearish. It's, it's in a bearish territory, but it's not overly done. So we still have these to resolve. And, and when those do get oversold, uh, I usually will come on and, and say, well, this is what I'm buying and I'm buying and I'm buying. And, and I get the same comments where people are like, you're crazy. But, um, you know, last year um, 
I traded more on the long side because we had these good dips to buy than on the short side. And um, it was a pretty good year for, for opportunities. And I think that this volatility, uh, I welcome it because it opens up the volatility window for opportunities on both the long and short side. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, I think that's really important because it can sound super bearish all the time, um, the headlines. But if you are opportunistic and you have the tools and the knowledge to do it, then there there may be some fantastic opportunities coming. But it's it's it sounds like it's going to be... Um, Action-packed, to say the least. Uh, but if your perspective is different and your risk profile is different, then you're really going to want to plug in and pay attention. If capital preservation is the name of your game, then it might be a really stressful time. So super important um, to know the difference. And if you don't go to the academy, we have we always say this. We have modules on all of that. Know who you are um, before you jump into this stuff. So let's get to some questions, Tommy. Um, uh, <laughs> Oliver saying, at what price will you back up the cyber truck and load up on Tesla? Well, it, you know, the problem I have with Tesla is I, I think that demand is starting to weaken. And we and track a lot of different- China this uh, this week, I think they announced. Right, they're, they're cutting prices and their margins are, are becoming more in line with the traditional automakers. You have a lot of different things that are working against Tesla right now. One, you have a, a fleet of cars that it's becoming a bit stale. They all look the same. They've been in production for five years or more, and there's really nothing new on the horizon. Um, you have interest rates really high, so it's it's expensive to buy a car right now. You've you got these great discounts and these rebates that are out there, which is which should be really good for Tesla, but you're not really seeing the increase that you would expect uh, when you're getting $7,500 perhaps uh, off the, the price. Uh, I, I, valuation just makes no sense. I mean, it's still worth more than, you know, all the legacy automakers combined. You have, you know, a fairly unstable CEO. You just lost the CFO. I mean, I don't know what the next thing is going to be that, that will move this lower, but my main thing has been demand and it is starting to slow. It's very clear. They're, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, we're going to close the factories for retooling. They just opened two factories. They're brand new. Why do you need to close them to retool? I think it's just a matter of having too high of inventory, low order demand, and, and really stale looking cars and the full self-driving. I mean, that's another thing that, you know, it's it's coming soon and coming soon. And we've been talking about that forever. And, you know, we'll see. Mm. So it sounds like you're no, not even I'm looking not, at I'm a price a yet. Yeah. I, I have no reason to buy this. Makes no sense. It doesn't fit into the valuation parameters that I, I track. And um, it, I, I don't think it's a very solid company. So Trillionex asking, what do you make of this bear steepening? Do you think we have room for a rotation into value and cyclicals? Yeah, I think that is possible uh, that we'll see a rotation into value and cyclicals. Um, definitely. I think the steepener is, it's kind of stalled out here. Uh, but if, it, when it, if and when it starts to move, you know, that's the the old, uh, it, we're going to go into re recession. And that's been, you know, the recession is coming, the recession is coming, and that's the boy who cried wolf. And even I've thought, like, 
second half of this year, we'd start to see it. But uh, everything in the economy, I mean, retail sales were really strong today. Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen the labor market really strong. You're going to see, that's a, the other thing. Last time I, I was on, I said, you've had energy prices go up in, Ju in July. I mean, the price, the average price of unleaded gas is up 10% since July 4th, 10%. And that's going to filter into the CPI data for August that comes out in September. And that's ahead of the next Fed meeting. So if the CPI comes in a little hotter, which I think it will, I think the Fed's going to have a dilemma. Are they going to, are they going to raise one more time? If they don't, I think they're just going to hold rates at these high levels for longer. And they're not in any giant hurry to cut rates because the economy still is good. The wages are strong. Unemployment's at three and a half percent. I mean, they're not cutting rates at four percent unemployment. That just makes no sense. And they're afraid. They're really afraid about inflation coming back because historically you see these waves of inflation that that it comes back. And oh no, what do we do now? So I don't think they want to make any big giant uh, decisions. Uh, but it, it's either they're going to raise twenty five or, or or keep rates real high. I mean, it just it's it's. Going to be interesting to see what the CPI comes in at. Yeah, that's going to be, and it's going to be really interesting to watch that meeting that is now very much in play, I think, because we keep getting these strong numbers, or at least mixed enough. Strong on the consumer, New York manufacturing was weak, but we've had that kind of divide between manufacturing and services for a while. They have another problem, though, don't they, Tommy, which is what's happening with banks and the financials. The, the higher rates go, or the longer they keep them higher, it's going to continue to put pressure on those regional banks. Does it stay contained there? I mean, what do you, you, you sort of got in and out of financials, it sounds like at the right time, but what do you think about that sector from here, especially the banks? Yeah, I, I, I had a long trade in the regional banks that worked out. It was just, it was sort of a, you know, wise guy, cute trade that I got in and I, I got out with a, a gain. Um, it's interesting that rates are higher than when SVB blew up and we're not really hearing about it at some of the, the banks that have longer duration debt on their their books and i i mean maybe it's just their selective disclosure but i think that's a real risk and look i think that you also have regulators or regulatory agencies and the fitch and all the others that are starting to downgrade some of the banks uh for the real estate concerns which is another you know it's coming it's coming it's coming type thing but you know until that really cracks you know, it's sort of status quo. So we're, we're seeing some weakness, um, nothing, I should say, where it's really concerning. Yeah. Um, we've got some people asking about, uh, Avery asking about the deflationary forces in China and the spillover effects in both DMs and EMs. So the, the Fed's grappling with the U.S. economy, it's running too hot, but we're all kind of wondering now, do we see a spillover from China based on the weak data and the fact that they have, they say they're going to stop reporting youth unemployment. We all saw that headline made it all around. It kind of ended up everywhere because it seemed like a pretty um, dire sign of what's going on there. And people yeah. remain well, really concerned they make about up the numbers. Anyway, anyway, they do, right. you know, like, we're going to recalculate it, you know, those with, uh, you know, I don't know, they'll, they'll figure some some way where it doesn't show up as, as a dire situation for youth unemployment or youth employment. So, yeah, I, I'm, I don't really buy into a lot of the Chinese numbers. Um, look, if, if there is deflation happening in China, 
and you've got inflation running hot in Japan and other places around the world. I mean, this is a it usually goes all together. But I think China's going to have to do some sort of helicopter drop and give their citizens money. Then you have like these giant real estate companies that are still under tons of stress, uh, companies missing bond payments, uh, various places. And and if we're just hearing about it with the big headlines, there's a there's thousands of them that are smaller, these smaller developers that we'll never hear about that are under total stress. So yeah, I think that China's got you know a lot of big problems. The big you know China reopening never materialized, and that was something that Tim Cook said on the on the conference call, you know, really didn't, it really didn't go, uh, but we're still, we're still positive, but it really didn't go. Uh, I think that's a risk. Mark asking, what are your thoughts on the pound? You watching the pound, Tommy? Yeah, I watch all the currencies. Um, you know, it's, it's this and, and um, the Euro have actually just sort of been drifting lower, nothing that dramatic. But I think that I think that there's the potential for these to to drift a little lower as the dollar goes higher. I mean, it's not nothing really uh, stunning or a revelation in that. But uh, you know, I think it's really more in the Asian currencies that are going to be where the fireworks happen. But I, I do think I do think that it'll just back off a little bit. Now we have the blower going. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So, you know, you mentioned an interesting thing is everyone had been back to your comment on sentiment. Everyone had been expecting the dollar to weaken, had been expecting bonds to rally. I mean, this is the setup that people thought we were in for. It looked like the Fed was done. And now it's kind of back to the drawing board. It doesn't look like any of that's happening. Or, well, not or everybody, it's, it's not everybody question. expected that. True. I, not I'll tell you that because you have the same, you, you, you probably know the same people that are dollar bearers. Uh, come out of the woodworks and talk about the end of the dollar every oh, time yeah. it goes down. So you just, it's its sort of like the same people that buy gold. Oh, gold's going up. So they just talk about gold. They never sell it. They're always long. It just goes up and down and sort of sideways. But uh, yeah, I'm sort of agnostic and I'll go long and short on, on anything where, which way my indicators are telling me which way to go. But uh, I do think the dollar's, you know, it's got the potential to go higher. It's, sentiment's a little high right now, but it, it's this whole, if things break and get unruly, uh, then then things will, will get interesting. Uh, we You were talking about the energy trade that I think you said you lightened up on. So what, what, what are you expecting from energy from here? Because we've got weak China, strong US. <laughs> right. But I'm not sure oil's been trading off the fundamentals anyway. What, what do you see happening? It's been holding up well, considering the weak China that used to, that was coming out prior to today, looked like it weakened a little bit on those headlines today. Yeah, I think I, look, it's been a good trade for me. I've, I've got long and at, at pretty good levels, and and I've been saying over the last week to you know lighten up on energy. Um, it's more of a technical call, but I also think the fundamental backdrop is is actually pretty good. Usually, people get bearish on on energy and and crude uh, when we are moving towards a slowing economy, and I get that. However, it's a little different now because I think that um, the supply uh, is going to stay restrained. You don't have a lot of driller. I mean, the the drilling uh, Baker Hughes drilling um, rigs, those are still pretty low right now. There's not that many rigs operating historically, and then you have you know the Biden SPR release. 
they're not releasing any more crude. And I don't think they're going to increase or, or refill the SPR anytime soon. They sort of missed that opportunity when it was when crude was trading in the 60s. But then again, it's not that easy to fill, you know, give me 100 million barrels, um, stop me, you know, within a dollar. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, so I think that they may just keep the SPR at this level. And that's actually bullish because I, I don't, they're not going to release more. And I think the Saudis are really being sticklers about their production. So they want crude prices higher. And that's kind of it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that the demand is still pretty good. It's not, it's, it hasn't fallen off a, a cliff uh, in the US. It's still, it's still fairly good. So let's, let's uh, talk about that question we started the show with, cash. Is yeah. cash, I mean, you are being nimble and looking for opportunity, but is cash the safest bet right now, given all of the uncertainties that are out there and the potential for things to sort of start to spiral? Well, I, I think that if, if anybody has, well, if you have, here's my, if I'm talking to a family member, you have good gains this year. If you're up, you know, 10, 15, 20 or more percent, it doesn't make, uh, it wouldn't make, I would say, take some take some gains, uh, lock in some cash. You're going to get 4% in that cash and just wait to deploy it. If we do have a pullback, which I think is coming, and certainly on Twitter, I'll be highlighting my, you know, exhaustion signals on the downside. I'll, ex I'll talk about internals and things like that. And it, that's when you want to deploy. You want to deploy capital when people are, are panicking. And we're certainly not there yet. We're still in the, you know, keep buying mode. Yeah, which is your opportunity to start. Yeah, to I mean, you, you could have 25%. If you have gains, you could take 25% of your, if you're just an individual investor, take 25%, you're going to get 4% or more in cash. I don't think that's a bad trade. And you have that cash on the sideline. You sleep a little bit, you know, 25% better each night. Perhaps uh, I think that's <laughs> Which a, we all need. <laughs> we yeah, all no kidding. All right. So we also had some uh, news in the crypto world, and we got Ash to roll up, um, who's going to pop on here in a second because we saw the headline. Hey, Ash. Hello. We this, hello. We saw this headline cross, and for those of you who are following in the crypto world, it's all been about this spot. Bitcoin ETF, will it, won't it? What's happening? And so we saw a headline, but I don't think it was what everyone was anticipating. So what's going on, Ash? What do we need to know? So the headline is the Jacoby FT Wilshire Bitcoin ETF will now trade under the ticker BCOIN. It's regulated by the Guernsey Financial uh, Services Commission. It's listed in Amsterdam. Uh, Maggie, it turns out there's a technical term in journalism we use to describe stories like this. Uh, they are called nothing burgers. The price of Bitcoin essentially flat. It's been range bound around 29,000. Uh, now, today, no real action on it. So why all the talk about this Bitcoin ETF? Well, here's my take on it, at least. I don't think this is really about an underlying desire to find a way to own Bitcoin. If you wanted to own Bitcoin, you probably figured out a mechanism uh, to... Uh, you know, to uh, custody it by now. If there are issues, you could have bought it in an open-end or closed-end fund. Uh, the reality is this is seen as a proxy, as a signal for what's happening with U.S. regulation. So when you get uh, an offshore entity, this isn't even uh, directly monitored by the Financial Conduct Authority. This is in, Jer uh, in Guernsey, which is one of the Channel Islands. This ah. is basically 
means it seems nothing for price action, right? We were talking about this earlier, Tommy. The market's yeah. always right. Uh, so in terms of price, at least, and 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 the reality here is, I, I just think this isn't really seen as a very strong signal of U.S. regulatory approval. It's offshore. Doesn't seem to really matter. So it's a fun story in that sense, Maggie. Okay, good. Because we because we saw Europe. You know, we saw we thought it was Amsterdam. We thought thought Europe, and we were. Yeah wondering amongst ourselves, right? Like, okay, are the Europeans out in front? Because they seem to ha be more open to the idea. And it seems yeah. that the US is lagging the rest of the world when it comes to this. Is I that that's, still the yeah, case? I, I think that's generally the the interpretation that uh, that uh, markets seem, seem to have collectively made. Uh, so remember, it's listed in Amsterdam, uh, but it is going to be regulated in Guernsey, sort of via London. It's this kind of weird amalgam of things. I think generally speaking, uh, the interpretation of that remains unchanged, which is Europe, continental Europe, uh, in the EU specifically is ahead of where we are here in the US with something called MICA or MICA. This is the uh, crypto regulation that we've seen go into place uh, in Europe. It certainly seems that the English very much want to compete in this. London uh, is very much vying to be a Bitcoin power center uh, and other cryptocurrencies, of course, uh, with the move in the United States being broadly seen uh, by regulatory agencies as as uh, as non-accommodative for these assets. Yeah. So, Tommy, this is like one of these days, one of these headlines will be real. So like sort of false alarm, not really there yet today. It, from from the folks you talk to, do people still think there is going to be the institutions eventually think they're going to make their way through here? Are people kind of getting fatigued and and still not in it? Because it looked like there there were a lot of big names that were circling, just waiting to get to the point and still investing yeah. in creating infrastructure for this. Yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., that's sort of very much the open question. Uh, we've seen that with the BlackRock ETF filing, which has not yet been approved. BlackRock Spot Bitcoin uh, ETF. We do, of course, have futures uh, ETFs uh, here in the United States, uh, but they just haven't been approved on the spot side here in the U.S. This is one uh, overseas. Yeah, doesn't seem to be moving the needle. Yeah, Tommy, what do you, is there is there demand or is there an expectation from the professionals you talk to that this is going to happen? Or I. I... I mean, Ash is a much better person to go through this because he talks to everybody. I, I think there's, it's going to be hard to get this regulated, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Just from a, like, if it's an equity, just it'll be interesting to see some of the hap happenings of what since it trades seven days, some of the gaps that you're going to get on Mondays mm. from Friday, Friday's pricing to set, uh, Sunday or Monday morning. I just think that's going to be, you know. Very interesting to see how that works. I look. I think everybody's expecting BlackRock to get approved. I, I think there's still some issues with Binance that has to get handled before. That's some of the the more bearish people that I speak to. They they have to clear that up. The Coinbase mm -hmm. thing has to get cleared up. I mean, they're under SEC investigation, and Binance is under DOJ investigation. But I still think that there's some big players out there that need to get cleaned up. And yeah. perhaps once that happens, uh, then then we can, you know, see the regulation. See the light many, many years ago, uh, when I was still young and naive, I was renting an apartment in New Jersey. And I go and I visit this apartment complex and I go and the road out front, it's a little highway, is all torn up. And I, I love the apartment. It was a great place. And I say to the woman who's renting it to me, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the construction out there. And she said, listen, don't worry. Come this spring, all they need is one or two great days. They're just going to pave the whole thing over. It's it's not an issue. And I go, oh, that's great. Wonderful. I'd love to take it. 
And the, you know, it took them two years to repair the road. That's really where we are in terms of the current state of regulation uh, with this. This isn't something where one day, you know, the steamroller is going to come through and, uh, you know, we're going to get an ETF in the United States and we're going to arrive at digital asset nirvana six weeks from Tuesday. It's just not that kind of process. This is a, a years to decades long process of the transition between the legacy financial system to a system that's more digitized. And for many people in this space who are passionate about it, hopefully, hopefully uh, more decentralized. But this just isn't the type of story where, you know, one news headline is going to totally, you know, move the needle in the opposite direction. It is a very long, slow transition. Think about the internet. Think about how long uh, it took before a doctor's office was able to email you. That's what we're talking about here. No, I'm still struggling with that, Ash. But yes, yes. And that's why we have all you guys keeping a close eye on it for us uh, to keep it real. Um, Ash, thank you for, for popping in because I know you're super busy. You're about to do a Twitter Spaces. And I have a feeling you're going to cover a lot of the stuff that Tommy and I are just talking about. What, what, who, who you jo who's joining you? What are you doing? Oh, it's a great crowd. So first, of course, it's Ralph Powell, uh, our CEO and co-founder, geopolitical expert D. Smith, Brent Johnson, of course, widely known for the dollar milkshake theory, and David Matten, uh, who's been thinking about macro geopolitics and something that I'm very passionate about, the role of AI. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. Well, we had a lot of questions about all those things. So I hope everybody rolls up to the Twitter spaces to hear what all those folks have to say about it. Thanks, Ash. Appreciate you. And Tommy, thank you so much. Always love having you on. It was fantastic to see you. Nice to see you too. Thanks for having me on and um, see you again pretty soon. Absolutely. And thanks to all of you. Great questions and commentary. Um, for those who are not members, just before we go, remember this is the last day to jump on our anniversary special for um, marking Real Vision's anniversary 2014 for three months. But also we're closing the site to new members in anticipation of the big new launch of the platform. Super excited about it. We've never done that before. So you're not going to be able to get in if you don't do it by midnight tonight. So scan the QR code. There's a bunch of information. Brian, I'll drop some stuff in the chat as well. We'll be back same time tomorrow with Jeff Snyder for an extended daily briefing. So be sure to join us then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.